chapter 10 this morning, Matthew chapter 10. Now we, we have at least some out sick. I know uh, Brother Rob Wright is out sick, um, and I can't think who else. Uh, we'll be praying for those. A lot up and coming. Of course, this Saturday also do, I will be starting the homiletics class, and that will be the first hour of those classes. Is Sean in here? I think that's right. I think I'm the first hour at 8 a.m. for that. And I heard Sean. I don't see him, but I, I heard him. And, oh, he's back there. There he is. Yeah. And... Uh, that will begin, and and the fall things are right around the corner. Men of faith will be taking place in October, and and uh, all right, Matthew chapter ten, just two verses here this morning, and then we will begin. When he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly love you. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your mercy, your grace, and your long suffering. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that, that you would work this morning. Please help me to stay true to your word. Lord, I pray that your word would be a help that would feed us and draw us closer to you this morning. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted, I pray for that conviction, for that drawing, that even this morning, that they would repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray be clear. Please minimize distractions and help us to concentrate on you, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Even, even as you go through the Bible, even preaching expositorily through it, it produces different types of messages. And... Um, and, and some are, not that this one's going to be difficult to preach, it won't be at all, but some you really look forward to, you know that it's dealing with something that with many different needs of people going through different trials and troubles, and, and you know it's going to be help in that regard. And then there's, there's others like these that I also do enjoy, where it doesn't so much cover that aspect of life, but it covers the need to really begin to take the Christian life serious, to take another step with your walk with God. So the focus isn't so much on you, but it's on the Lord. All right? And uh, this is one of those messages. I, I, back, many of you know, in my, in, in my past, I spent nine years in the Air Force. Um, and from 1980, August of 1989 to 1998, I got out of the Air Force while I was already assistant pastor here in, here in Alaska. Now, in order for me to get into the Air Force, of course, I had to enlist um, and not all those who enlisted were actually going to make it into the Air Force. There would be a small percentage who would not make it out of the very next phase, and that would be basic training. After I enlisted, there was a time set for me. It was less than 48 hours uh, from the time that I actually just had a, actually had a phone call knowing if I wanted to enter. It would, it would be less than 48 hours, and I would be on an airplane and gone. Um, but I would enter basic training. Uh, 
And the Air Force would, at that time, it was only about six weeks of Air Force basic training. And once I completed that, I still wasn't ready really for the real Air Force yet because then they sent me to another Air Force base and that was just for schooling, technical schooling of what my job would be. They were going to put me through a series of courses. Basically, it was college classroom for weeks as well as some practical things that would take place. And it was called technical school. So I had Lackland Air Force Base, finished basic, then on the Chinook Air Force Base for technical school. And then after graduating from technical school, I was sent to my very first real assignment. But even when I arrived there, which would have been Holloman Air Force Base in Alamogordo, New Mexico, I certainly wasn't released to do my own thing. The Air Force put you in what they called skill levels. And so when I left technical school, because I graduated that, they assigned me what was called a three skill level. All right, which when I got to that next base, what that told them was I'm still learning. I'm not ready to do this on my own yet. You're a three skill level. So I had a, the first supervisor I was given really wouldn't be my real supervisor. He was there to continue my training. That's why he was there. And so I would go through a process, a mixture of studying coursework and classroom, and then mostly on the job training now that I graduated. I would go through that for a time frame. I'd have to finish with another major test once again. And with, with, the, uh, with the, uh, um, uh, what's the review of my supervisor, the day would come when they'd say, you know what, you're ready, you're done. We're going to move you now to what they call a five-skill level. At that point, I was on my own. At that point, I show up for work, and <clears throat> um, there's no one to watch me. Everything's done. I'm ready to go. It was a process that took place. In our text this morning, the disciples are given their very first assignment or their mission. It's not unlike what I went through in my initial Air Force training. There's still a three skill level, but they're getting out into the field themselves so they can get to the point where they're a five, and then hopefully a seven, and then a nine as the Air Force moves you up. Of course, many of these men have been following Christ. However, from the multitudes that have been following him, and there was a lot, Christ in our text is going to select 12. He's going to select 12 of all these disciples that are following him. He's going to select 12 of these men to become apostles. And we see that for these twelve, the title changes between verse 1 and 2. Notice in verse 1 it says this, Now he had called unto him his twelve, what? Disciples. Now look at verse 2. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. This is the first time in Scripture we have the word apostle used to designate these twelve men. It follows the same setting that you also see in Luke chapter 6. At the same time where he changes at this point in time in ministry with this sending out where it goes from disciple to apostle. There was something about these twelve men that caused the Lord to select them. Christ, no doubt, was choosing men, of course, who were disciples, who were following him, who were growing. But he sees something in these men that he chose to train personally. They were going on to the next phase. The fact is, we need Christians to move on from being just disciples to apostles. Too often, we're just content to be the disciple. To just stay. This is enough. This is all I need. I'm good with this. I have my fire insurance. 
<clears throat> now again, I don't mean 12 apostles in the, in the scriptural <clears throat> sense that these 12 were. This certainly was to be in the actual of, of this group. There are several requirements of Scripture that I'm not going to get into, and I'm only bringing this up because you have those mainly within the charismatic movement that have come about as far as this persuasion of being called apostle in the last 50 years, but they entitle themselves apostle and they look at themselves as equal to these 12. That's complete nonsense. To actually be one of the twelve, or there was actually fourteen, kind of Matthias and the Apostle Paul. One, you had to be a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was a biblical requirement. There's not one person today alive on the earth that fits that requirement. That alone um, removes you from the possibility of being an actual disciple. Not only that, was that a requirement? That's, by the way, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You had a fellowship with Christ, Acts chapter 1, chosen of the Lord, Ephesians chapter 4. There's not a man on earth that meets those requirements today. But what I am dealing with, when I use the word apostle, apostle for the purpose of this message, that you're willing to go further with your Christian walk. That you're not content just to stay put. That you want to see that life is all about God. That you want to draw closer to Him. That you, you're, one of the, you're one of the ones who wants to be selected. That you want to serve God more. Not just have fire insurance for your Christian life. The word apostle is an interesting one. It was used, the word was actually a military term in the day of Christ. It was a naval term. It was used, um, it was used meant for, uh, on a naval mission, the person who would represent the king on a naval mission. He would be the apostle that was aboard that ship when it was going forth on some type of mission to another nation that was going to represent it. That was the apostle. And Christ chose that word to use to designate the twelve he would separate. He said, you're now apostles. You are now representing the king. <clears throat> what is interesting was who Christ chose. The twelve that were selected. When we look at the life of the twelve who were chosen, I want you to listen to me. This is important. They were all just average men. The only one that we could see of the fourteen that would not have been would have been the Apostle Paul. They were all average men. Men who were very far from perfect. Christ did not choose one who was wealthy, with the possible exception of Matthew, but he would have left it all when he chose to follow Christ. He didn't choose those who were wealthy so that no men would choose to follow their preaching or teaching because of the financial power that that man would have. He did not choose any who were of noble of rank so they would have the ability to compel men to follow them because of their nobility. If anybody was going to listen to these twelve, it would be because of the message they were teaching and preaching. They really, of the twelve selected here, they really had no education or ability of their own for the task. Yet, after only three years of being with the Lord Jesus Christ, they would set off to begin changing the world. 
We will see things here that will help us make a difference in our life towards the kingdom of God. The goal is all this, that you would not be content. There's two ways, there's, there's two things the devil can distract you from seeing what life is all about. One is, again, just being content with where you're at in your Christian life and, and thinking that going further is for somebody else, not for you. Uh, maybe things of the world have you distracted and you've forgotten that life is all about Him. So it's trying to get you refocused to say, listen, you know what I need to concentrate on more than anything else is going from a disciple to an apostle. One who represents the king. There's other things that also can distract you from taking that step. Though. One is thinking, well, God couldn't use me. Well, but he can. We see that in the life of these men that were, that were selected. You know, it's, it reminds, and I brought this up before in the pulpit, but it's, it's as you know, I, I enjoy sports. I like sports. And still to this day, one of my favorite sporting events happened when I was 10 years old. The 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team. There's even a movie about it today. I remember being so, so engulfed in that, following that, being 10 years old. I, I had my, I, we lived in a little Glenway apartment. I had a little black, black and white TV up in my bedroom, I remember following the story, and I, did, I wasn't even grasping the totality of the geopolitical, what was going on behind the scenes. You're certainly aware, if you were alive, if you were 10 years old, 1980, you certainly understood what the Cold War, uh, at least a little bit, was about. I mean, it was America and the Soviet Union, that's what the world was focused on. That's, of course, no longer the case nowadays, but that was true back then. And so, this was... Uh, was, as this entered this, you had the Soviet Union who had by far dominated hockey. I mean, controlled it for decades up to this point. They had the best team in the world, hands down. And then the U.S. did not have close to a world-class team. We did not. All right? One, different than Russia, we weren't even using professionals. But they, they, but they brought in a brand new coach. And I, I, I remember reading about this, I even, even back then at 10 years old, I was already getting Sports Illustrated. It was a birthday present one year. And reading on this, following the story, and they hired a new coach to come in and coach the U.S. hockey team. And he almost lost his job immediately because of who he selected. He didn't select the best. He did not go through and look, and he could only select from college anyhow. He was not allowed at this time to go into the professional ranks and select from anybody on our professional hockey teams. He had to select from college. And he did not select the best. And it became a big deal. Why? What, what's going on? What are you doing? And, and he made it clear. He goes, he goes, I'm not looking for the best. I simply want men who will listen to me. I want men who will follow what I have to say. Because he knew he was going to introduce a whole new style of hockey to these men. And he needed men who would listen. And you know the story from there. It worked. It didn't look like it would. I mean, you could think, you could think of what had happened even right before the Olympics started. The, the Russia team was still dominating the world in all the tournaments. They even took on the NHL um, All-Stars. The best of our professional athletes. The Soviet Union Olympic team, and they crushed them. The, the U.S. team didn't even score against them. But the Olympics happens, and, and the U.S. made it to the medal round. And they would face the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union had no competition yet, just 
crushed everybody coming through. It was expected they would crush the U.S. team. The U.S. team was not even supposed to be in the medal round. That was incredible that they were there. That's why it was so huge. And the Olympics, what made it even better, was in America. The Winter Olympics was in New York at this time. So it's in America. We're taken on the Soviet units at the height of the Cold War. It was just an amazing time. And I remember watching it in my room. And sure enough, the U.S. team won. It was amazing. They did not win with the best athletes. They did not win with the best hockey talent that was available. They won with men who simply listened to the coach. When Christ selected these 12, he selected men that would listen to the coach. That's what he's looking for. That's what he's looking for in our life. When Christ selected the twelve, he did not go for religious leaders of the day. He did not go for one expert in theology. He went for those who would listen. Some of those that he selected to me are mind-boggling. Perhaps two of my, a dyna- my favorite dynamic, I should say, within the twelve selected, hands down, is Simon the Zealot and Matthew. I mean... If you understand the, the, the political spectrum of the day, for Christ to select Matthew and Simon the Zealot, oh my goodness. I mean, that's like a firestorm waiting to happen. Because before conversion, make no mistake about it, Simon the Zealot was a dagger man. He would kill Matthew in a heartbeat. They had a hatred for each other. And here they are. Amazing. Amazing who Christ selected. He's going to be introducing, if you will, a new system into them, one that would change the world. He takes very different men, men who had different temperaments, strengths, weaknesses, and yet he would use all of them in amazing ways with the exception of Judas Iscariot. And I'll cover why he wasn't used when I get into this message. From this, we can learn how God can use you doesn't matter who you are in this room right now. The Lord can use you. If you'll try and just step back from all the distractions and try and begin to understand what life is actually all about. Why you are here. We learn that God is not looking for talent. He's looking for tenderness and humility. He's not looking for aptitude. He's looking for attitude. He's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. So I want to break this primarily down into two areas that I want you to notice about these 12. One, the challenges that those men faced in their own life personally to overcome in order to be used of God. They were far from perfect and they had many shortcomings in their life that would need to be overcome if they're going to be used of the Lord. And then see, a key to that, the next C, is culture. The culture of Christ being key to the change in their life. So let's dive into this here this morning. Let's start off with the challenges that needed to be overcome for them to go from disciples to apostles, to ones who would represent the King of Kings. Again, when we look at the the men that Christ chose, they were not perfect men, they were far from it. Again, but the change that is produced in their lives is incredible. 
When we look at how, how the Lord changed them, what we can all recognize, I know what I recognize is there's hope for me. I don't have time to go into it this morning, but I still remember the first time that the Lord, uh, that, that, that I ever, excuse me, that I ever preached. Um, you've heard me, t- it was just horrible. It was, I hadn't surrendered to preach yet when that happened. They were doing a youth night like we are tonight. And it was the first one the church had ever did. And the pastor came to me and said, I want you to preach it. We didn't have all of them preach it. It was just one that was selected. And the pastor said, I want you to preach it. And I agreed. And it was a complete disaster. You've never heard a worse sermon or anything so humiliating in your life. I mean, it was a true disaster. And I, after I got removed from the pulpit, that's literal truth, removed, um, my mom's probably watching. She probably remembers that day. And I was up there just beat red. I froze because I was done. I was over with and didn't know what to do. And the pastor had to remove me and sit me down. And then he preached. And I said, I will never do that again. I knew I had an enormous shortcoming. I mean, you know, I can hardly pronounce words. Do you understand that those were things that were genuinely hinder me from surrendering to God's call in my life to preach when it actually hit? Of having to understand the very principle of what's taking place here, that God isn't necessarily looking for talent or ability. That that's not what's key. Um, or... And those of you who have known me for many years um, would know I am not the guy you put in the jungle. I'm not. I'm the last one you would... I had a clog in my sink I've been working on for four days. A clog. I can't get it fixed. And the Lord puts me in the jungle? I mean, at times, what is he thinking? I know you're really wise, but What? At times, even going before the Lord since I have been here saying, what am I doing? You might think there is something you can't overcome. That there's just something in your life, nope, this isn't going to overcome, this isn't going to hinder me, this is just where I have to live. That certainly isn't true. The Lord can, can, cha- he can change you, He can conform you to the image of His dear Son. It's what He does. Again, you might think the Lord can't use you, but He can. Think of the twelve. These twelve as a whole, it really is humorous at times, lacked great understanding. They really did. None of them were theologians. I mean, think when Christ taught some of the parables or taught on eschatology, future things. Uh, or when Christ talked about a suffering. Think of the response. I mean, you could just think of some of these parables that Christ was teaching and Peter standing by John. Listening to Christ. What's he talking about? John, I don't know. Just smile and wave. That's all you got to do. At times they were completely clueless. I mean, the time that Jesus warned them, it really is funny when you read it, about the leaven of the Pharisees who forgot the bread. I mean, they had nothing to do with that. At times, they were clueless. I can think of the times that I felt clueless. When I first started serving God, and I'm not exaggerating, I mean, again, you know, I did not grow up in a Christian home. And the pastor said, turn to the Gospel of John. I had to look in the index. I didn't know where it was. Genesis, I could find. 
I could tell you where Genesis was. That was about it. There was times you would know, sit there and I had the other, other you know, teens around and they would just fly there. But God's not looking for ability, talent. It's not it. He's looking for those who will deny self and listen. Who will follow the instructions. You see, as you begin to walk with God, what the Lord does do is He begins to illuminate truth to you. As you begin to walk with Him, He gives the understanding that is needed. I mean, think what happens to these twelve. Think, here in just a short time, from this time, it would end up being, we're less than three years, we're we're a little over two years from, from Matthew chapter 10, of what's going to take place and these men are going to be preaching, and, and uh, for their day, those who had the doctorate degrees, you know, uh, uh, they would listen to Peter preach, and they would make statements like this. Do you hear these unlearned and ignorant men? Understand, they were not using that condescendingly at the, in, in that context. That's, they're saying, where did they learn this? What happened to them? They, have a, they, they, they didn't go to seminary. These are fishermen, a tax collector. Listen to them speak. Other challenges they had to overcome, besides just lack of understanding, they had to grow in knowledge. And they would. Understand what I'm dealing with, by the way? All of us can change. It's not, these men grew in understanding. Do you understand that? But these men also had to overcome different sins. Sometimes sins they weren't even aware of. Sins like pride. I mean, they're traveling down the road with the Son of God. I mean, just think of this. The Son of God. They're getting ready to sin and they don't even know it. And Christ hears them talking amongst themselves. And they have a discussion like this. It's, it, this is in Mark. What chapter? I can't remember. It's in Mark. I know that. Which of us is the greatest? <laughs> and of course, Christ hears this and interrupts them. Like, what are you guys doing? They had to overcome pride. They had to overcome pride. They had yet to see the importance of humility when it comes to serving God, but they would learn it. In the future, you will see these men who demonstrate just great, great humility. They had sin that needed to be dealt with, sin that needed needed to be overcome, sins that they weren't even recognizing yet in their life. And that does happen as you grow. The Lord does illuminate truth that begins to change you and conform you. All of a sudden you see things like, man, what, what was I thinking? And the Lord changes you. But if you get so stubborn and stuck, no, I'm not changing this. You're limiting, you just want to say a disciple. You're not willing to go forward to an apostle. That's why the Lord's looking for those who will listen. Who will be willing to obey. Who even if in the moment they might not understand, Lord, I'll trust you. As we walk with Him, not only does He 
illuminate truth, but He also cleanses us. He changes us. Other challenges these men had to overcome that are just like us. They could be very fearful. They lacked, they lacked a lot of boldness when it came to serving God. You know how many people will not go out and knock on doors because they just don't think it's their personality? Oh, I'm afraid. Hello? I mean, the first door I knocked on, I remember my best friend fell off their gate. I was ready to quit right there. All of these men were forsake, would forsake Christ the night that he is betrayed. They would run. Peter even will outright deny the Lord three times. Denying that he even knows him. This is after three full years with him. I've seen him raise the dead. Uh, allowing the blind to see. The deaf to hear. Healing the lame. Hearing the great preaching and teaching. And all the wisdom convinced. He is the Christ. The son of the living God. And in, and in moments he denies him three times. That he even knows the man. They had things to overcome. Peter even walking on water. Which, I love that account. But even in the midst of actually walking on water, as soon as he saw the wind boisterous, he sank. Fear took over. Fear took over. Yet in the end, all of these men will end up being martyred for the faith. They will, they will demonstrate amazing boldness. You want to know what happened? The Lord changed them. I mean, so much so that Peter, after he denies the Lord three times, after he meets the resurrected Christ, oh my goodness, what a different man. I mean, you see him preach now, and thousands get saved. You see him preach now when he is told and threatened and beaten. He's not worried at all. Now you see a man with amazing boldness. He was changed. You know what he was? He was an apostle. He was one sent forth to represent the king. At times, not only were they fearful, had lack of understanding, had sin to be dealt with, at times these men had little faith. At one point, well, they're, they're, on the, they're on the boat with the Lord in the sea. Christ was sleeping. When they awoke, Christ, because the storm had hit, they woke Christ out of sleep. And Christ said this, how is it that you have no faith? What is wrong with you? You have no faith. Or when Christ was talking about how God meets our needs, you know, the needs in nature and how we always fret and worry. And he says, he uses the phrase there again, oh, ye of little faith. He did that over and over. I know at times my lack of faith uh, frustrates me. Perhaps you think your faith hinders you. Join the club. The apostles struggled with faith that time. And yet the Lord worked and began to change them and their faith grew. So these were average men that had challenges identical to you and I that had to be overcome. One of the keys in overcoming is point number two, and that is culture. 
which helps in going from the process from disciple to apostle. I mean, we're in a culture war right now. We have been for several decades. And churches are not excluded from that, as churches are, many are just, have no idea which way to go and making really bad decisions when it comes to culture and what to do. But what's, there's something interesting about the culture of these men. So let me try and dive into this a little bit, because the key to going from, there's going to be two, and the last one I'll just finish with a, with a, a brief conclusion on it, is learning the culture of Christ, which many don't like today. It's just the truth. All right? we, all, we, we, we almost portray a, a false image of Christ in our mind that adapts to our culture as we view the world. Now, in order to come into the culture of Christ, understand this. There has to be another C here, a genuine conversion. There has to be a genuine conversion to Christ. I mean, even of these twelve, one is a false convert. One will not make it. The reason why he doesn't make it, because he was a false convert. He made a false profession of faith. One that was based on self and not on God. We know just how Judas responded and from what took place and from Christ's own mouth that he was never converted. Judas was a man who when he saw Christ, what he saw was an opportunity. He saw Christ was about himself, not about God. What he saw was, just like the other disciples thought, wow, a kingdom is coming, I want in on it. That's what his profession was unto, a position not about a surrender before the holy almighty God, recognizing uh, the need for Christ as Savior. His was about a position. There was never a genuine conversion. But genuine conversion certainly is needed. To make sure that there has been a, a time in your life when you truly repented and placed your faith in Christ. Without genuine conversion, you'll never be sent as an apostle, if you will. But if genuinely converted, then the responsibility comes on you to learn the culture of Christ. In order to be sent as that apostle, we have to learn from Him. Learn who He is. We're not just dealing with classrooms and things like that. But the key is going to be the disciples. Spend, so Christ, understand what He's doing. He is now taking twelve. These twelve are not just going to learn from a somewhat of a distance by following and listening and watching. Now, these twelve are being separated to spend time directly with Him. Basically, 24-7. So they could learn of Him. So they could learn His culture. I remember in P&G, and I, I had tried to set up the, the American system, if you will, for training men for ministry, and it was failing greatly. One, I had people, for the most part, I had to teach to read. I was dealing with a very low education level, and I'm trying to follow a model like I was taught. I had my coursework, courses, I'm going through it. And I remember at one time, one of them, and I couldn't believe it one day, I, I'm given a test. A test. This is for ministry. And I look over, he has a bunch of stuff written on his arm. 
got to be kidding me. What are you, what are you doing? <laughs> and I knew I'm missing something here. And then I decided to make the change to what Christ did. Selected, in this case, it would be one. You will stay with me. You will show up at my house at this, at, I think it was 9 a.m. He had to be at my house by. And you're just going to stay with me. This is going to happen. I did it Monday through Friday, a little bit on Saturday mornings. That worked very well, by the way. Made made an enormous difference. So Christ selects 12 who will now begin learning directly from him in a close relationship. There's a powerful verse that I love in Mark chapter 3 and verse 14. It says this, that the 12 were ordained It simply says this. This is what they were ordained unto. That they should be with Him. To spend time with the Lord. I'm going to quote from uh, from another pastor about these disciples in this verse of Mark 3.14 of spending time with the Lord. I I like his wording. Let, Let me quote from him. He said, can you imagine walking every day with Jesus? Can you imagine hearing His matchless wisdom? Everything he ever said was perfectly wise and absolutely true. Can you imagine being with someone who never lost his temper, never got angry, but was only righteously indignant over things that took glory from God? Can you imagine being with someone who cared absolutely nothing for himself, but always gave himself to everybody else? Being with someone who was totally consumed with literally wearing himself out with fatigue to do the will and work of another person. Someone who could raise the dead and heal the sick and give sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. I mean, think, it would be so incredible to be with him moment by moment. To hear him speak. You say, yes, but we don't have Christ. We don't have that opportunity like they have. Uh, that's true to a degree, but we have so much that he, has left with, that, that he has left with us to equip us to the exact same change that can occur in our life. Number one is God's Holy Spirit. That's what he talked about in John 14, 15, 16, 17, in that last discourse in the upper room with the disciples, focusing on that distance. I'm leaving, but I am not leaving you alone. I am sending another one. This is God's Holy Spirit who will come alongside you. He is the one who will now illuminate truth. He is the one who will guide you and direct you. He is the one that will convict you. Now when they're walking on the road and that conversation begins, they have the Lord to turn around and say, what are you doing? Now when that happens, they have the Holy Spirit indwelling them that will say to them, what are you doing? Not only that, you know what else the Lord has given us? The local church, Ephesians chapter 4. So we we have God with us still, with the Holy Spirit who indwells us, and He combines that with this new institution that the Lord Himself started called the local church. Oh, and there are many attacks against it today. Many. The devil will always attack the local church. Because as Ephesians 4 teaches us, it is the local church that is given for the perfecting of the saints. That doesn't mean perfect in the sense of sinless. It means our growth. The change that needs to take place so that we can go from disciple to an apostle. God equips within the local church what is needed. 
as you read through Ephesians 4 and it gives the different offices of it. Another, I think another, another item to use wisely that will help you with this change and to conform to the culture of Christ is you find a godly man. It's not about just looking somebody who, who wanting somebody who just thinks like you. you. You find somebody who will give you truth. You find an influence in your life that is a godly man. Not somebody you just know who's going to agree with you. Have a godly influence. I know the Lord has provided those in my life. I remember when I started to serve Christ. Uh, that pastor when I was a teenager certainly took an interest. And I have no doubt the Lord laid that on his heart. I had that influence. And, and at that time for what I needed, that was what I needed. I would, I would certainly grow beyond that. Then he puts me in New Mexico with Pastor Willie J. Bird, who all of you have met. And to be with that man and watch him, his teaching and his preaching. The man who would come to me one day when I was getting, I was getting ready to make a really bad decision about Bible college. And him handling it with such wisdom, came to me and just says, listen, I really don't think you should go there. Let me start to train you. To then, uh, 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 the Lord sending me to Korea with Bill Stewart for a year when I was at Kunsan Air Base, then on to Alaska with Pastor Stan Roach. Follow godly examples that are given to you. Even the day would come, I, I think of it when the Lord started dealing with my heart about New Guinea, when the Lord was getting ready to send me. Although I still believe that was more about me learning than anything else. I think I learned much more being there than I ever taught. Let me finish with this this morning. If these men were going to allow the culture of Christ to change the challenges that they faced in life. I mean, there, there's, there's really almost a paradigm shift that needs to occur in our thinking. All right. One, we are in a culture right now, and whether we realize it or not, it's, it's just simply a truth of where we're at. Growing up in the United States of America within the last 30 years, if you've grown up here, you've been taught a victim mentality. All right? Um, instead of overcoming, you've been taught to live being a victim. Almost the glory in that, if you will. But if you're going to allow the culture of Christ to change you. Let me finish with this. And the disciples did have this. There needs to be a measure of commitment. Of you saying, Lord, I will do this. Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. I mean, think about, is that pattern not throughout the entire word of God? Draw nigh to him and he will draw nigh to you. You say, Lord, I am yours. Lord, whatever you want, I will do. There has to be a measure of commitment. Of saying, I will stay by this. To be committed to it. With all the flaws that the twelve had, they were committed. They removed earthly ambitions. And focused on Christ. When that took place, the Lord could change them. I mean, remember, not a one of those that Christ selected, by the way, was a poor man. Did you know that? None of them were wealthy, 
But they would have been what we would have considered middle class fishermen. You know, they all had different levels of income. Stuff that they left off earthly ambition to follow the Lord. That takes commitment. That takes realizing they understood life is about God. I just don't want to say, stay a disciple. I want to grow. So this morning, where are you at? One, have you been genuinely converted? That has to be settled first. Are you truly a Christian? Have you been converted? And then, if you have been, where are you at between disciple and apostle? Are you ready to be sent, if you will? Do you understand, when, you, when we leave this building, all of us represent the king. All of us. There was a man, was it on, on the flight down? Was it down to Florida? That I, he was next to me. And anyhow, it, it ended up being an opportunity to be able to witness to that guy. And, and it, it's escaping me how it got into it because it ties into um, what was taking place. I think it was something I saw that he was reading. So I brought up the conversation and asked him about it. And, and then just listening to him, hearing from his worldview how he viewed things. And then to try and turn it to let him see it's all about God. What I knew was, you've got to understand, even on that plane, I represented the king. For these men to allow the Lord through his culture to change them, there would be a measure of commitment. Know what the Lord's looking for? Obedience. Obedience by faith. With heads bowed and eyes closed. <clears throat> Let me ask this question. If you're here right now, say, Pastor, I am not sure that I've been genuinely convinced.